If I asked the average American, do you believe in God, the answer would vary depending on how I asked the question. At least that's what a Gallup poll found back in 2018. If I asked, do you believe in God, yes or no, 87% of Americans say yes. But if I said, I'm going to read you a list of items, please tell me whether it's something you believe in, something you're not sure about, or something you don't believe in, what about God? The percentage drops to 79%. Finally, if I ask, which comes closest to describing you? You are convinced God exists. You think God probably exists, but have a little bit of doubt. You think God exists, but you have a lot of doubt. You think God probably does not exist, but you're not sure. Or you are convinced that God does not exist. The percentage of who are convinced that God exists without any doubt is 64%. So anywhere from about two-thirds to seven-eighths of Americans say that they believe in God to some degree. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? During this four-week series, I believe in God, but we're going to consider the impact of believing in God in our everyday lives. We're going to come back to that, but first let me say, when the message planning team sits down every year, usually in the spring, to talk about the following year's messages, and by that I mean from September all the way through the following August, so September 2020 to August, I'm sorry, September 2021 to August 2022, we are going to ask this particular question. First, we're going to pray. Then we're going to ask the question, how can we best help the New Life family be equipped to share, grow, and live? the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. We might not ask it in those exact words, but our goal is to equip you to fulfill um, Jesus' great commandment and his great commission. That's where our mission statement originated, that mission to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. It's what Jesus told us is most important. Now, if you're not familiar with Jesus' great commandment and his great commission, then we've find them in Matthew's gospel. Actually, Matthew's gospel is Matthew's account of Jesus' life. Each of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have some version of these two great commands of Jesus. But Matthew's are the most familiar. So let's look at them briefly, just as a review. In Matthew 22, we read this. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So a group of Jewish religious leaders known as Pharisees asked Jesus a question that was designed to trap him. Now, the trap was that whatever Jesus answered, when they said, what's the greatest commandment in the law, they thought, well, he's not going to come up with the right answer. And we can say, look, he doesn't even know the answer to a basic question. But immediately, Jesus homed in on the most important commandment of all. And that commandment is that we must love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And that's true. It's the most important reality in your life, and it's the most important reality in the life of every person anywhere in the world at any point in history, according to Jesus. And it is simply to love God with everything you have and to love other people as you love yourself. Jesus said what we call the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, he called it, is summed up in those two actions. So we call that statement the great commandment for obvious reasons. And, and the reality is this, it's more than just believing that God exists. We must love God with all we have and with all we are, and then we must love each other 
as we love ourselves. Imagine if 87% of Americans did that. Much more about that today and in the weeks ahead. But let's look briefly now at the Great Commission. So let me set the context. A couple days after Jesus had announced the Great Commandment, the religious leaders arrested Jesus. They took him before Pilate, the Roman governor, who found nothing wrong with him, nothing worthy of imprisonment, let alone crucifixion. But because of the religious leaders' insistence and the crowds, Pilate sentenced Jesus to death by crucifixion. So Jesus was crucified on a Friday, and he died that very same day. The reason I say that is because sometimes when people were crucified, they didn't actually die for a couple days. But Jesus was crucified on Friday. He died the same day. He was put in a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And then on Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. Now, I know that we probably have heard that before, but let that sink in. A dead guy, dead on Friday, Sunday morning, he's alive again. And he comes alive and he visits with his believer, his followers, those who believed in him, for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, he returned to heaven. But before he returned to heaven, he offered these words, which we call the Great Commission. It says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we could say that this was Jesus' marching orders to start a worldwide revolution. Think about it. If Jesus died and rose from the dead, then that already puts him in a very elite group of people. If he died, rose from the dead, returned to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to a group of people who were then empowered to do the same kind of things that he did, that really does set into place a worldwide revolution. That's what I, that's what I believe. And that's what every person who ever sits in this place and preaches to you believes. It's what the children's pastor here and the, and the director of student ministries, it's what every staff person, every, really every member of New Life believes. And that's what we offer people through our weekend messages. We offer new lives in Jesus' name because that's what he offered us. If 87% of Americans believed that and lived it out, our world would be radically different. Our messages come from the Bible because the Apostle Paul put it this way to Timothy, his son in the faith. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We believe when we know God personally through his only son, Jesus, we will be transformed into people who love God with everything we have, and that we'll love each other as we love ourselves. And that's the point of today's message, which is titled, I believe in God, but I don't know him. According to Gallup, far more people believe in God than know him. How can I say that? Well, it's simple. Believing in God requires nothing more than a mental assent or affirmation. Anyone can say, I believe in God, but how does it impact the person's life? That's the question that we're going to consider these four weeks. What difference does it make in our lives when we not only believe that God exists, but we know him personally, when we fear him, when we go all in with him, and when we trust him? I hope you're going to make it a priority to be with us all four weeks, whether you already believe in God and are absolutely convinced that he exists, or maybe you have questions about God at this moment and aren't even sure that he exists. 
Here at New Life, we create our messages with the two groups of people in mind, those who have not yet come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord and those who have. It's challenging because some people who already know Jesus want to go deeper into the things of God and they want to understand more what the Bible means and teaches, and that's good. And every week you're going to find some of that as you listen to us talking and expounding about the Word of God. At the same time, if you have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to hear His name during our messages, and you will learn what we believe about Him because we believe He is the Son of the living God who came to the earth to save us from sin and death and to give us new lives for now and forever. So let's turn to today's focus. I believe in God, but I don't know Him. The best way to get started on that focus is to turn to today's take-home point. Now, if you're with us for the first time, the take-home point is the one point that we'll be making from these scriptures that we're reading that we want to pray about, think about, and live out in the week ahead. So here it is. Believing there's a God doesn't transform us. Knowing and following Him does. Let me say that again. Believing there's a God doesn't transform us. It's believing, or it's knowing and following Him that does. So if believing there's a God transformed us, America would be such an amazingly different place. After all, 87% of us say that we believe in God at some level. Jesus called those He knew as followers and who knew Him personally, He, he called us something. He said that we are light and that we're salt. He said that we are supposed to add zest and flavor to the world. Now think about it. If we put seven-eighths of a pound of salt in one pound of meat, that's what 87% is, don't you think we would taste the salt? Here in America, if 87% of us actually followed Jesus, we would reap the blessings. At least if following Jesus means living out the great commandment and the Great Commission. So for today's focus, we're going to turn to the book, a book of the Bible that was written by a half-brother of Jesus. His name was James. Before, James. before Jesus died and rose from the dead, James wasn't all in about Jesus. In fact, according to the Gospels, Jesus' brothers, his, his half-brothers, thought he was a little off. Now, I'm guessing that if you and I have a brother and he says he's God, we're probably going to say he's a little off too, Right? I have three brothers. Well, I had three brothers. Two are still living. And if any one of them told me that he was God, he would definitely have to rise from the dead before I would even consider believing it. So in any case, James focused on action. James focused on action as the way we demonstrate we know God. As James saw it, believing in God without living what we believe isn't actually believing. As we'll see, he thought of faith without actions, good deeds or works, is what he called dead. Before we turn to James 2, let me emphasize something extremely important. Knowing God is a gift given by Jesus. It's not something we earn by what we do or by how much we learn. I emphasize that because I don't want you to leave here today thinking that you need more information to know God. Many American Christians have been convinced that if they just knew the Bible a little better, they would know God more. Both James and Jesus emphasized that knowing God means living new lives, being different, changed from the inside out. We must know some information to do that. That's true. When Jesus told his apostles to teach their disciples to do everything he had commanded, he certainly meant for them to teach the things that Jesus had taught them. Yes, that's true. 
But the reality is, Jesus' goal was not merely that we would know what he taught, but that we would become living examples of those who know him personally. Knowing about Jesus might mean that we could pass a test based on information that he shared. But knowing Jesus means living in a vital relationship with him that shows through as we live our daily lives. So before we turn to our Bibles in James chapter 2, pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus didn't just want us to know information, but he wants us to know you through knowing him and through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Today, as we turn to James, we ask that you will open his truth to us so that we can see how important it is that we not only believe that you exist, but that we know you personally, and that knowledge of you in a personal relationship draws us to do the things that Jesus did. We pray this prayer in his name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, you might want to open it to James chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, you'll also see these words on the screen. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Let those two questions sink deeply into your minds for a moment. When 87% of Americans say yes to the question, do you believe in God, but we turn on the news and we see what we see day after day after day, can we really doubt that what James said is true? That maybe if we really know God, there would be some action behind the knowledge. A faith, a belief that doesn't give, live, get lived out at home, at work, at school, on the football field, in the grocery store, as we're driving down the road. Or even eating breakfast isn't much good, is it? James asked the obvious question. Can that kind of faith save anyone? I believe in God, but. James gave a practical example of what he meant. He said, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Now, isn't that where the rubber hits the road? It doesn't get any more practical than seeing someone who's hungry or ill-clothed and saying, well, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then we walk away and we don't give them something to eat. We don't give them some clothes to wear. If you're thinking, well, what about the homeless people who don't want to work? Didn't Paul tell the Thessalonian Christians that if you won't work, you don't get to eat? Well, let me say two things about that. First, you know your Bible pretty well. And second, sometimes we quote the Bible so we don't have to do what it actually says, so we won't have to live it out. If you've come to New Life for 20 years, then you know that we take the Bible seriously here. We just invested the whole summer working our way through the Apostle Paul's letter to Galatians. Our goal wasn't to gain more, more information about God than we had at the beginning of the summer. Our goal was to help us live in the Holy Spirit's power, His freedom, a freedom that Jesus gave His perfect life on the cross to give us and rose from the dead to show us what kind of power it really is and then to produce, as we said all summer, fruit or results for him by being transformed by him. Four years ago, when I received an email from Pastor Joseph Tung of Toronto, Canada, asking whether anyone in New Life could host three sisters who needed a home in America, you know what my first thought was? True religion before the Lord is this, the care of widows and orphans in their distress and keeping oneself unstained from the world. That's a paraphrase of James chapter 1, verse 27. It was also the Holy Spirit telling me, Chris, you and Nancy have three empty bedrooms. 
They're not going to be empty anymore. Nancy and I could have come with all kinds of excuses why we shouldn't leave our life of being empty nesters, which we had been doing very happily for six years, to become the de facto mom and dad of three teenagers. But as James put it, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. We didn't bring Teresa, Kina, and Miko into our homes because we thought that we would be better Christians if we did or that God would give us some kind of additional blessing if we did it. We did it because that's what a living faith in the living God does. Have I ever walked past a homeless person and not taken him to lunch? Yes, many times. But I haven't told a single one of them to be warmed and be filled as I did it. I didn't say, God bless you and walk away. I've taken some homeless people to lunch And one even told me something that was really interesting. He said, I just wanted something to eat. I don't don't want your help. I don't want to hear anything about God. The point is, a living faith comes from knowing God, not just believing about him. And a living faith results in action. James anticipated the argument that some might give about faith and works in his next words. He says, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. It is never faith or works. A lot of people have reduced it to that. You know, either you believe it's faith in Jesus, that's it, or it's works. But it's not. It's faith and works. It's never I know about God, so I don't need to know God. It's never that. I need to know about God, and I need to know God. Every Ever since the Protestant Reformation, Christians have argued about faith and works. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, (coughs) actually wanted to exclude the book of James from the Bible. You know why? He said it focused too much on works and not enough on grace. We can be too focused on works. And we are too focused on works if we think that they're what save us or gain us any kind of merit or favor before God. Our salvation and anything good in our lives actually is a gift from God given basically through the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. That's why knowing Jesus is essential. Not knowing about him, but knowing him. A nebulous belief in God doesn't save us. It doesn't change us. It doesn't cause us to live out the great commandment and the great commission. Only a personal faith in the living God through knowing Jesus does that. So James pointed out something so powerful in the next two verses. He said, you say you have faith for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? James' point is clear. Even demons believe in God. Have you ever thought about that? Even the demons believe in God. 100% of demons believe in God, and they tremble in terror. You know why? Because they don't know him, and they never will. They've rejected him, so they're never going to gain the blessing of knowing God the Father, of knowing Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a blessing that each of us can experience in our lives. So James gave us one more example of a living faith, and not surprisingly, he turned to the same place that Paul turned in Galatians. He turned to Israel's history. This is what he said. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham, and remember, Abraham was the founder of the Jewish people, was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. 
And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God had counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Abraham's faith was real. It was so real that when God said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. I want you to put him to death. He's your only son. I know that. You love him. I know that. Abraham said, yes, sir. And he took Isaac up on top of a mountain and he was ready to sacrifice him because he believed and he knew God. He knew God and he knew whatever it was that God wanted, that God would do what was best. Now, of course God is going to do best. And of course God didn't ultimately require Isaac's life because God has never asked anyone to give up their son or daughter to show that they actually know him or love him. Although God did give up his only son, Jesus, because he wanted to show us that he loves us. When we know God, he gives us the power to fulfill Jesus' great commandment and great commission. That's why James wrote this conclusion to his comments about Abraham's faith and what it means for us. He said, so you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Our belief in God translates into action when we come to know him. If we want to know whether we believe in God and know God, the test is really simple. Have we started changing on the inside so that it becomes evident on the outside? You see, if we really know God, not just know about him, we start to change on the inside. Eventually, it starts to show up in our daily lives. Is it showing up, for example, in how we invest or spend our money? and other material blessings that God has entrusted to us? Is it showing up in how we invest our time? Does our language reflect a heart that's filled with God's goodness? Sooner or later, knowing God, not just knowing about God, but knowing God results in action. And that is the difference between believing in God, as 87% of Americans say they do, which may make absolutely no difference whatsoever in what we do, and knowing God which transforms us from the inside out so that eventually those around us see us following Jesus. We become more like Jesus in what we think and what we say and what we do as the Holy Spirit becomes more and more the guide and power source in our lives. It doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen because believing in God and knowing God results in action. That's why today's next step is this. I will exercise my faith in God through action this week. We don't know what God might call us to do this week. I mean, if we take this next step and we say, I'm going to exercise my faith in God by doing what he calls us to do in action this week, he might ask us to do something we never thought of doing before. We do know this, knowing God. Not just believing about God or believing that he exists moves us to actions that will do two things. Demonstrate our love for him and demonstrate our love for other people. I look forward to hearing how your knowing God changes you and what kind of actions it brings in your life. And what I mean by that is I want some of you, if you're willing, call me up or you know, send me a text or email me and say, hey, I decided because I know God, I'm going to put it into action this week and here's what happened. I'd love to have that conversation with you. So believing in God and knowing God are two related but different actions. 
We can only know God through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God teaches. That if we really want to know God, the God of the universe, the God that created everything, we will do that by making His Son, Jesus, our Savior, which is our rescuer from sin and death, and our Lord, which means our Master, our owner. Now, there's no better time than right now to do that. If you've never done it before, right now is the best time to do it. What that means, and we say here at New Life, that Trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord is as simple, not easy, but simple as A, B, C. A means admit that we're sinners. Admit that we maybe just were settling for knowing Him when what we really needed to do, I mean, believing, know that or we settled for knowing that He exists or saying that He exists, but not knowing Him personally. That's the first thing we do. We admit that we're sinners and that He hasn't been really very real in our lives. B, We believe in God. We believe that Jesus is his son. We believe that Jesus is Lord, owner in our lives, and master and savior. And he's the one who rescues us from sin and death personally. And finally, we confess, see, confess our sins to God. And we confess to others who are willing to listen about the new ownership. And they're going to see it because our actions will start to change. Our words will start to change. Our lives will start to change from the inside out. It's easy, actually easy, to transfer ownership. But living that life is a lifelong process of growing to know God more and more deeply, just as Abraham walked with God throughout his life and just as we're called to do the very same thing. So I want you to think about that for just a moment. Do you want that in your life? Do you want not not only to be able to say, yes, I believe in God, but do you want to say, I know God? Because right now you can. We're going to pray together and I would encourage you to pray with me if you want Jesus to be somebody you know personally and not just know about. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus to the earth. And and right now, God, I admit I need him. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm fallen. I've, I've maybe settled for just knowing about Jesus, but I haven't known him. Right now, I want to. I, I believe that he is your son. I believe that he's Lord master over my life, that he's savior, that he's rescued me from sin and death by his death on the cross. And right now I ask God that you will forgive my sins. I confess them to you. And I I pray for your Holy Spirit to take over my life so that I will be able to confess to others, starting with my family and people in my spheres of influence, that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord, that I don't just believe that, but I'm coming to know him. Thank you for that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. I pray that if you just made that commitment that you will know Jesus more and more each day. If you've had that commitment in your life for weeks, months, or years, I pray that you'll live it out and people will see those actions in your life and in mine this week and that they'll give God the glory. Have a great week. God bless you all.